Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 227. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Every second of every day, your restaurant is talking to you. Between the chatter online, interacting with your POS system, or making transactions with your credit card processor, these are all opportunities to collect data, crucial data that can help you make the right decisions in your restaurant. To learn more, schedule a demo by going to resources.upserve.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Stephen Betka. Stephen, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, Eric. Thank you very much. I'm feeling great. Awesome. That is what I love to hear. So let me just give the listeners a quick overview of who you are, and then we'll dive into getting to know you a little bit better. Ottawa native Stephen Betka graduated with honors from Algonquin College's sommelier program. After completion, Stephen departed Ottawa to hone his skills in New York City for four years with the top players in the restaurant industry. While in New York, he worked for Cafe Balloud in 11 Madison Park before returning to his native city. Today, Stephen is the proprietor of Betka, one of Canada's premier fine dining restaurants, along with critically acclaimed small plates, play food, and wine located in historic Byword Market, along with upscale neighborhood restaurant Gazellig in Westboro. Stephen has won countless awards. And I'll be honest, Stephen, I tried to, uh, I, I was struggling with some of them. Just trust me, there's, there's a lot. I counted 10. <laughs> They're not counting this. I counted 10 awards in the bio you sent me, and that's just amazing. And believe me that all these awards had the word top or best of some kind of, you know, you, you've done some incredible things in your career. I'm so excited for this interview. I can't wait to learn more. Um, so before we dive into what makes you you and why you're so unstoppable, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Well, thanks, Eric, and, and uh, great to be doing this. Thanks for uh, having me on. Um, my pleasure. So in, in looking through the questions that, that you had, you know, one that we're going to talk about later on is about opening your own restaurant or funding. And I, I would bet a lot of your listeners, uh, you know, are probably wanting to open their own restaurant as well. And so, you know, one of the big things you need for that is courage. And to me, the best explanation of courage that I ever uh, heard was uh, out of a movie uh, with George Clooney called The Three Kings. And, uh, you know, they're just about to go into battle. And George Clooney is talking to his uh, young private. And he says, you're scared, right? And the private says, yeah, maybe. And he says, well, the way it works is you do the thing that you're scared shitless of. And then you get the courage after you do it, not before <laughs> you do it. And he says, that's a dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. He says, Clooney says, I know. But that's the way it works. It's so and true. So that's, that's that's key for me is that, you know, you, you get the courage uh, after you do the thing that you're scared of doing. So just find the thing you're scared of doing and go out and do it. That's so true. And uh, listening to you tell this or share this quote, I couldn't help but think about how scared I was to start this podcast. Uh, a student of the industry talking to all these accomplished people. Who's going to take me seriously? Who's going to listen to this? What do I have to share? Like I was scared shitless. Uh, and you should have seen me the first time I tried to record. It took me hours 
because I was so afraid to hit that publish button. But once I did, it just got so much easier. And if you tackle those big goals and you, you do what scares the crap out of you, everything else just starts to get a little bit easier. And tell me about a time where maybe you did something that scared the shit out of you and how was it easier afterwards? Um, well, I, I think the big one was, uh, moving to New York city, uh, and working for Daniel blue. And that was, that was terrifying. You know, I had oh, never, I imagine. I'd never eaten in a restaurant as nice as the thing that I was about to be the sommelier of. Uh, you know, I was 24 years old and, uh, and I opened uh, cafe blue on 76th street, um, you know, as the sommelier and, you know, I never had a bottle of wine at a restaurant and, you know, somehow, you know, my first day I'm handed this, you know, $2,000 bottle of wine and going told it it at that table. And I totally messed it up. And, (laughs) but there was no way back. Right. I had gotten the, I had moved countries. I had, uh, you know, uh, spent my life savings, you know, just getting an apartment in New York. And, uh, you know, so you just got to figure out how to make it happen, but you know, it's, it's doing something that's really, really scary. And then just, you know, getting in there because you got no way back. It's like burning the ships, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. What advice do you have? I mean, I'm so I admire you so much because of the the risk you did take. You I mean you're clearly passionate. You you took this massive risk to go to a city where it's cutthroat. I mean, I can only imagine going to work for a, a restaurant like Balud or Eleven Madison Park because there's there's been so many great people that have filtered through. I'm not talking about guests. I'm talking about employees, people that are just staples in our industry. And how do you how do you stand up against that? How do you prove yourself that you're good enough? Like that must be so freaking scary, dude. I don't know how you did it. It <laughs> <laughs> really hard. I mean, you know, fear is a powerful motivator. And every day for the first six months of working at Cafe Blue, I, I was sure that they would find out what a fraud I was and oh. fire me. So you know, I would work six days a week, twelve to fourteen hours a day, and then I'd go home and study wine until I fell asleep and wake up, and you just go back to work the next day. Do you think because- it's a, that fear that you used? I mean, to use that fear to use that um that. I mean, I don't know if fear is the right word, but paranoia, I maybe mean, paranoia isn't the right word. I mean, what did you use? What was it that just made you keep going? Yeah, no, fear, fear was it because, you know, if I lost my job, I would have lost everything. I would have lost, I would have had to leave the country. I would have lost, you know, all the money I put in my life savings to just get there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I just, I couldn't, you know, you just figure out a way to make it work. So is it fail, a fear of failure? Is that what you're most f- afraid of? Uh, am I in life or in that situation? In that situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, I mean, the, the, actually the biggest fear was just fear of being found out that I was a fraud. And you talk to a lot of people that have been successful in one way or another in their lives. And, you know, constantly they actually uh, talk about this, that, you know, they're, they're going to be found out that they're a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want to compare myself to a president, but I was reading an article by a guy recently about this. And, and it, they, the, the big example is that, you know, the first day any president steps into the Oval Office, they realize, you know, oh, my God, I'm a total fraud. No way I should be here. And that actually happens to a lot of people in business. Uh, you know, they get to a place where they have a ton of or a huge new project and they think, I I shouldn't be here. I'm, I'm a fraud. People are going to figure this out. And then sure enough, you figure out that, you know, everyone feels that way at some point in their life. And if you're doing that, it means you're, you're pushing in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me so much of one of my past guests, her advice, um, Anna, uh, what's her last name? Dolce. There's no in between either you're growing or you're getting worse. And if you're not pushing yourself, if you're not putting yourself in those situations every day where you're not, 
where you're scared, you know, then you're not, you're doing something wrong. And look what happened to you by pushing yourself and being uncomfortable and being scared shit. Like look at how far you got. Um, and look what you're doing today in your own life as with, with Betka, uh, restaurant group. Like it's just so impressive. And I think we can all learn, like, what are you doing in your lives right now, guys? Like, are you pushing yourself? Are you taking those big chances? Are you, are you scared? If you're not, then maybe you should be. And that's, that's what I, you know, that's, that, that's what's resonating with me right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone has a different uh, stomach for, for fear and mm-hmm. some people like it and some people don't. And, you know, I don't want to say that everyone should be doing that, but you know, if you want to, you know, be an entrepreneur, open your own restaurant, that's yep. something that you got to deal with. You Absolutely. Know, uh, yeah. So let me ask you, um, what is your why? Maybe your personal why, or maybe even the why of your restaurant. Like what is at the core of what you do that gets you out of bed every day that makes people love you so much? Well, you know, certainly I'm a, uh, you know, Mike Anthony recommended me for this podcast and I'm a, uh, you know, former employee of uh, Danny Meyer and, and Union Square Hospitality Group. Um, and so I'm, I'm part of that, uh, that, you know, hospitality um, uh, thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we, we all surround ourselves with people who share our values. And so, you know, hospitality is a huge value of mine, but for my why, and we've, we've sort of extrapolated this recently with our company is, is to, to see, uh, to create a culture of caring that actually permeates beyond our walls. Um, you know, hopefully uh, something that we do affects someone else who binds with us or someone who works with us or someone who supplies us with things and they, they feel more cared for and they go off and care for someone else and it becomes this great virtuous cycle. Um, you know, to me, uh, I want to see a change in our culture uh, around caring. And when you when you see that out there in the public in some respect, you know, it's not about did you influence that, but you think, okay, I'm pushing in the right direction. You know, I was service Canada recently to get a passport. And uh, this is a place that, you know, takes care of all kinds of different uh, things, uh, unemployment insurance, uh, you know, pension plan, uh, you know, old age security, uh, a lot of low income supplements. And this guy at the front was just unbelievable the way he was caring for each individual person, just helping them walk through the process and, you know, stuff that's pretty basic, but, you know, he would just take the time. I thought, Oh, that's just amazing to see. And then when I got past him to the next person, uh, you know, down the road to, to apply for the passport, that person did the exact same thing. And I walked around and looked at the other people in the office and they were all doing it. It was like this amazing culture in a place that you totally wouldn't expect it, a government office that is catering to, you know, people who are really struggling in life and people who are getting passports. Um, but it's, uh, it was incredible to see. And so it's like, if I can help influence that culture of caring beyond our four walls by caring for people within these four walls, then, you know, that is my why. That's what would make me happy. Man, I love it. Give me an example of a time where this culture of caring in your restaurant, like you gave a great example of the trying to get the passport, but when did you use this why? I want to be taken through a story where this why of caring really came out in your restaurant group. Well, so the one I think of recently, and uh, I, I always prefer to talk about stories of my staff because I'm only successful if, you know, the team we have. You know, so do. true. I love it. Yes. So Sarah, uh, one of our young managers at uh, Gazellic, um, uh, she took a phone call like many others uh, just before Valentine's Day. And this guy is like, you know, 
I totally left this to the last minute. You know, it's two days out. Is there anything you can do for me? Can I get a table? Can I get anything? I'll take any time. I'm so sorry. We're completely booked. Oh my God, my, you know, my girlfriend's going to kill me. I just, I didn't, I didn't think about this ahead of time. I really should have, you know, gone and done this. She's like, you know what? This is what you got to do. You got to go to the LCBO, which is our liquor store uh, here. And you want to go in and you want to get yourself a great bottle of champagne. Then you want to walk across the street to uh, Loblaws, this grocery store there, and you want to pick up a few things, and here's a list. And then uh, you want to get some candles and set them up at home, and, and this is what you do when your girlfriend walks in the door. And she spent like 20 minutes walking him through everything that he needs to do to get himself out of the doghouse with his, <laughs> his girlfriend. And that guy is going to come back, you know, for the rest of his life because, you know, our, our manager took 20 minutes to basically walk him through the perfect date with his girlfriend. Oh, man, so that's I just, awesome. Just no, that's a great example of, I feel like that's a problem, right? And I think people see problems and they just say, this is the problem. We can't do anything about it. And they move on. But the truth is, it's those problems, those those times where there are like issues where you have the opportunity to shine. And that's what she did. Sarah shined. Like she said, she didn't stop at, no, we can't accommodate you. She said, I feel for you. I care for your situation. And even though we can't accommodate you, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you come out on top of this situation. And I guess what well, I bet they've been back. I bet they've come back to your restaurant because of this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Uh, thank you for diving into that story. So uh, let's talk about, I mean, I think it's interesting to point out uh the path you took to get to where you are. I mean, we already talked about you working in New York city and um, I think it's, I always want to make an example of you because of how intentional you were. And I mean, when did you know at what point of this journey, when you, when you uh, decided that you wanted to own your own place, was it before you even went to school? Like when did you know? When I was 13, I started working in in a restaurant and uh, busting tables. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a great family life at the time. And uh, these people just took me in and and took me under their wing and cared for me and and treated me with respect. And and, uh, I just loved this idea of a restaurant family. And I loved the idea that you can just bring some food to a table and get a bunch of smiles out or clear a table. So rewarding. And, and, you know, it was it was great. It just felt amazing. So I knew right then and there that I wanted to own a restaurant because I wanted to be able to surround myself with people that I really like and take care of people in very basic, simple ways, providing them with, you know, food and hospitality. Awesome. So 13 years old. And then but the thing I want to point out, maybe we can slide right into the if factors now. Uh, some of the if factors that helped you get to where you are today. And I'm just going to point one out. Maybe this is on your list. Maybe it's not. But you take massive action you don't you know think about it like you you, i'm sure you did think about but you acted on it massive action moved to new york city like one of like the restaurant capitals in the world and you went to go work for like some of the best people Uh, that's a massive action man and you're so intentional about the things you do it seems like you don't really waste time everything you do like you do for a reason am i off by saying this well, to, to be honest, it, it was uh, the New York thing was pretty unintentional. Really, uh, I was I was dating a girl there and oh, uh, went down to see her, <laughs> and uh, and my friend who had introduced us at a wedding in Virginia just said, "Hey, you should you know you should bring down a resume in case uh, you know maybe you want to stay and you know hang out with my friend a little longer." And so I thought, okay, you know who, who cares? 
And, uh, and it was totally by happenstance. It was actually, uh, I went for lunch at Gramercy Tavern, uh, where Mike Anthony is the chef, obviously. And, um, I met, uh, some friends of theirs, uh, Karen Page and Andrew Dornenberg, who, uh, great culinary authors, James Beard Award winners. Uh, and, uh, they said, oh yeah, okay, you're cool. Let me introduce you to uh, a couple people. And, uh, cause I just wanted to know what would it be like to be a sommelier in New York, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know, what's the lifestyle like, what's whatever. And, uh, they introduced me to Jean-Luc Ledoux, who was the sommelier Danielle at that time. And, uh, and I met with him just to find out what's his, what's his life like. And, and he said, well, we actually got a spot open. Uh, you know, do you want to interview? And I said, sure. And then jumped right into it. But Again, the restaurant was under construction. I had no clue uh, who Daniel Ballou was at the time. So there was no real intention of this other than wouldn't it be cool if, uh, you know, I feel like serendipity, uh, if you listen to the world, it's going to provide you with the answers. It's going to bring you to the places you need to be, and it's going to give you the learnings that you need to learn. What was the world telling you? Like, what you said, listen to the world. What was the world telling you at this time? Like, what? The world is telling you, go to New York. We're, you know, in New York, uh, you know, meet these really cool people and, and change your life. And so I did. And, awesome. uh, you know, but it's, yeah, it's funny. It wasn't intentional. You know, I know a lot of people who are very intentional about what they want and, you know, structure, but I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that looks two weeks ahead and that's it. I think uh, the, the lesson to take from this is trust your gut. Uh, don't live with any regrets. And I think, is it safe to say that's what you did? You trusted your gut and you just went for it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. no, Absolutely. And another thing uh, that just really impresses me, I don't, and I don't think you did it intentionally. Uh, maybe it was a stroke of luck, but I don't, really don't believe in luck. I believe in you know luck favors those who bust their ass. But you surrounded yourself with these people, like Karen Page, like dude, like that's a big name. She knows everybody. Like these people, these these sommeliers for these am- am- amazing restaurants, Danielle. Like, like how much do you think your success has to do with surrounding yourself with the people that can help you get to the next level? Well, absolutely, for sure. But it's, uh, you know, in that case, it was again, it, in this case, it was luck. It was uh, the friends who introduced me to the, the girl I was dating happened to be on a, a radio show in New Jersey with uh, Andrew and Karen. And they said, you know, we don't really know what they do, but you should really meet with these people because they every time we go out to dinner with them, they all they get treated really well in restaurants. So, you know, we think that they're they're kind of big shit. So you should meet with them. <laughs> and so I was like, OK, yeah, that sounds great. They sound like nice people. And uh, and that was it. So it, it truly was, you know, blind luck wow. uh, in a lot of cases. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. Absolutely. But but, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity that comes around in the world, and it's just a matter of grabbing it when it does. So instead of me guessing, trying to guess your if factors, how about you just, just tell me what you <laughs> think? <laughs> what are your if factors? If you, <laughs> what would you say they are? Um, I think resilience is a huge one. Uh, you know, getting up off the carpet when you when you screw up or when you get hit down and and uh, optimism is huge. Just you know, always seeing uh, the bright side of things or, or opportunities when when they exist, and you know, failure is a great opportunity. When you fail at something, you you figure out ways to to you know learn from it and 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 turn it around. You know, we fail all the time. Like every day in the restaurant, we fail, and we figure out ways to to turn it around and to make it better and to to do better the next day. And that's mm. that's it. So those are those are the two of the big ones for sure. So resilience and just being able to fail forward and. I mean, that last one's huge because at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to attitude. Like we all make mistakes, but it's about what we do after those mistakes, how we view those mistakes and what we get caught up on. I mean, what, what do you think? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I would agree. And uh, yeah, you can't get caught up in it. You can't dwell from it. You know, uh, guilt is there for a reason so that you can learn your lesson and then you let it go and move on. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to get back up again and, and figure out how to fix the thing that you just screwed up on. Awesome. So just resilience, uh, the ability to fail forward and to not get caught up on the past, but to keep your eyes on the future and to you know take those lessons from your failures to just make yourself better the next day. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Um, so a great segue into the next topic, which is those those failures. You have all these failures that you, you said that have made you better, but take one of these failures, Stephen, and really take us through it and what happened, how it felt what you did, you know, and, and then tell us what you learned from that failure and now why you're better because of it. Right. Yeah. The, you know, the big one was my first big management job. Um, so I was 21 years old and I was uh, touring around uh, uh, Europe and I kind of ran out of money and started working for these guys in Amsterdam uh, at a place called Boom Chicago. It's uh, an American comedy dinner theater, 300 seats and uh, still around today. Awesome. Awesome guys. Great place. And, uh, and, you know, basically, uh, because I had a little bit of restaurant experience, they asked me back the following year to run the restaurant portion of uh, this this dinner theater. And uh, it was, you know, huge for me. So I, you know, studied all the management books I could. And I, I watched every Star Trek Next Generation episode to learn all the Jean-Luc Picard leadership lessons. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I went there, you know, uh, full of piss and vinegar, you know, going to turn this around because they had lost money on their food and beverage operations. And I was going to make sure that they made money and we're going to we're going to be success. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I worked super hard and I just pushed hard and I pushed all the people really hard and, uh, you know, God damn it, we turned it around and we made a bunch of money that year. And then they fired me at the end of the year, you know, the season and, uh, we had a, a meeting. I thought they were going to say, okay, great. You know, wonderful season. Congratulations. Let's get you back here next year. And, uh, they said, yeah, we can't have you back. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, you know what? We, we don't, it's not a, just about making money for us. It's about, you know, making sure people feel good and, and having a great place to come to work. And I didn't realize that, you know, I was working with uh, family members of the owners who are, you know, who only experience was working at Domino's Pizza. And so they were the chef and, you know, this kind of thing. And it was, it was really frustrating. They'd come in an hour late and, you know, kind of blow it off and whatever. And so I'd get frustrated. I'd get angry. And, and I, you know, they, they, you know, they fired me. And so, that, that really sucked. You know, it took me a couple of months to recover from that. Uh, and, but I, you know, the big leadership lesson that I learned out of that is that culture always trumps profit. Um, you, you can make a bunch of money, but it's not about how you make it. It's, or it's, it's not about how much you make. It's about how you make it. And uh, you got to make sure that the people around you are all on board and, and part of this. And, and you got to make sure you're having fun along the way. Now, let me ask you, I mean, that was a great lesson. Absolutely. Culture does trump profit and we should be, not chasing profit, but chasing happiness. And, you know, uh, like you said, people come here, families come here, they, they, they feel good and to be happy. That's why they work for us, right? But what happens mm. when you're in that situation? What advice do you have for our listeners who might be working someplace right now who have those high standards like you have, who show up on time and take this work seriously? This isn't just a job for you. This is your career. How? What's your advice to deal with? with that situation where people aren't taking it seriously and you don't want to chomp their heads off because like you said, culture does trump profit, but what do we do in that circumstance? You can always hold people up to a higher standard for sure. You do it in a kind and gentle way uh, and a generous way. Um, But you know, if people are not, uh, you know, do not share your values or they, they're not committed to the same excellence that you are, then it's time to change those people. 
Mm. You know, it's it's really important uh, for an organization that if there is someone, excuse me, who is not a high performer and cannot be coached into that, then you know you have to you have to realize the mistake that you made in hiring and let them go and find someone who is. So in this uh, circumstance, were you the mistake? Were you the person that didn't fit that culture? Or would you suggest that you should have fired people? Uh, well, in that op- in that particular uh, case, I wasn't able to because uh, the people I would fire, i.e. the chef was, uh, you know, the owner's nephew, uh. and uh, he, had, he had signed on for the year. So there was no, there was no way that I could influence uh, the team around me. Um, but at the, you know, I should have been fired based, based on my, my behavior. And it was, and it was a great thing. You know, hopefully I, I should have been coached along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been great. Uh, and I would like to think that, uh, you know, when, when I've had managers that might have displayed these kind of behaviors that, uh, we can try to coach them through it. And, uh, hopefully we can show them a better way to do it, a better way to manage. So there's a few lessons, in my opinion, to be taken away from this, the story of failure. It's, First and foremost, that culture does trump profit. But the underlying lessons to take away is that when something's not being done right, uh, it's up to you as the owner to address it and to train it into your people. You can't just let it ride out and then at the end of the season say, "Hey, don't come back." Like you should, it should be part of your goal to to develop these people and to invest in them and to help them see what the vision is, what the mission is, what the the restaurant core values are. So they're all pulling in the same direction. Do you think that's an like a, maybe an underlying lesson to take away from this? Oh, absolutely. No, you nailed it. Awesome. I love it. Great stuff, man. We've crushed the first half of this interview. You're an amazing guest. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself just wishing you could have your own personal assistant? I mean, oh, to have your own assistant in the restaurant business, man, that'd be nice. Well, now it's possible with Upserve. Upserve is your assistant that helps you make small, easy changes that dramatically improve your bottom line. It does this by harnessing the power of data. Let's be honest, most restaurants don't use data well, but it's not their fault. There's two big reasons why. First, your data is disconnected, which limits its power. And second, even the data that you've got isn't fast and easy to use by 2016 standards. Well, Upserve can help you with that. To learn more, simply schedule a free demo by going to resources.upserve.com slash restaurant unstoppable. Again, that's resources.upserve.com slash restaurant unstoppable. What are you waiting for? Get on it. We're back. And the first question I have for you is on that advice of just getting that initial capital to get started. And you already kind of touched on this topic a little bit with that opening um, that opening quote there of just courage. You need courage. Do you want to elaborate on that or anymore? What else do you have for us? Well, yeah. I mean, don't be afraid to ask people for money. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big one. Um, it's, you know, the, what, the model that we have used in our restaurants is that um, we get a lot of very small uh, uh, contributions from a lot of people who uh, we care about and who care about us, uh, friends, family members, uh, former uh, guests of the restaurant uh, or guests of restaurants that I've worked in. Um, you know, crowdsourcing before crowdsourcing was cool. Um, you know, the, the average investment in our restaurants is about, uh, $8,000. And so there's a lot of people own a small chunk of the place and it's wonderful because it allows, 
us to, to be part of the community, to have them come and support the restaurant. Uh, and it also allows us to, when, when we're profitable and can return some of that money uh, that make people we care about, uh, you know, happy. It's great. So, um, so that's a lot of fun. So go and leverage uh, small contributions from a lot of people against a bank loan. And, you know, it's, it's not that tough to get the capital together to, to open your own restaurant. But you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta have an amazing business plan. You gotta have some mentors that can really chisel it down and make it amazing and excellent. And you really have to spell out, um, you know, everything you're gonna do. Uh, you have to really understand the financials for sure. Um, and you, you also gotta be conservative. You know, everyone thinks, okay, I'm gonna do, you know, five million bucks in my first year. And that's just not going to happen. So isn't it better to tell people you're going to sell $3 million instead of 5 And then, hey, if you do sell 5 down the road, then isn't that great? You know, you exceed expectations. You know, manage people's expectations that the return is going to be low and that if you beat it, fabulous. But always, you know, take what your numbers you think you're going to be and then, you know, take away 20% of sales and see if the numbers still work. And, and that way, you know that you can work it out uh, if things go south. You know, having operating capital is huge, huge, huge. You know, we always open with 20% uh, operating capital because you never know where things are going to go. You know, three months of, of total expenses in case things go south that you know that you can get through the hard periods because that's when restaurants close. You know, it's really key to understand that and understand the financials and build a business plan that's bulletproof. So when you say 20% operating capital, whatever the cost is, you take an additional 20% of buffer? That's it. Awesome. Um, and one thing that I wanted to dive deeper on, this is all great advice, but how, how do you ask people for money? You said you ask your, your friends, your family, your guests, like how do you approach people and say, especially your guests? I mean, I know that's a great place to go. Those are your brand ambassadors. Those are the people who are eating out every night. They probably have a little extra income to invest. How do you, how do you pitch that to them? Well, they're already emotionally invested, you know, and you just say, Hey, listen, we're, uh, we're thinking about opening a restaurant, you know, would you like to see a business plan and see if it's something you may like to invest in? It's real easy. You just have to ask. Yeah. Then are you taking an approach of you're interested in them? Like, uh, as, as an asset for them, is that the approach you take? Absolutely. Like this could be a great investment opportunity mm-hmm. for them. Cool. Awesome. So let me ask, uh, you clearly come from the school of the, you know, Danny Meyer, that whole hospitality is huge, uh, enlightened hospitality where it's not just hospitality to your guests, but to your employees, your community, your vendors, all those play a role. So it's definitely a people heavy industry. So what's your advice on hiring, managing and just retaining people? Well, yeah, I mean, you got to hire for empathy. You got to hire people who are aware of how other people feel, uh, who have a real emotional uh, openness, who can be vulnerable, uh, who have a great sense of curiosity. You know, uh, I was at the grocery store the other day, and uh, you know, this 18-year-old cashier behind there said, "Oh, you know, can I can I bag your groceries for you?" And I said, "No, no, no, don't worry about it. I usually go to the other place where they don't bag my groceries, so I've gotten really good at it." And he said, "Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they bag your groceries? Don't they know that you, you would come back more often and spend more money if?" If they just bagged your groceries, if, they, <laughs> if, if you, you felt cared about it. And I was like, oh, I like this guy already. And then, you know, while, while, he's, while I'm bagging and we're bagging the groceries together, he's like, you know, tell me about these grapes. I've never seen them before. What are these? And, you know, told him all about it. And he had like four other great questions along the way. And then just wouldn't let me bag my own groceries at the end. He's like, no, 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 I really want to do this for you. You know, 
how awesome is that? Okay, I was like, here's my card. I, you got to come and work for us. You're exactly the person we need to hire. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope had, you offered him a job. <laughs> I did. I That's did. Awesome. I'm still waiting for him to call, but he's, uh, you know, he had empathy. He had curiosity. He was engaged. He made me feel good. Like, why would I not want this guy to, to be around me and be around my guests? You know, it's, uh, the, you know, this is, this is what you got to hire for. You know, don't hire for nice skills. You know, cooks have to have nice skills. Absolutely. But the best cooks are the ones that look at a dish and understand how a, a guest is going to feel eating it or seeing it put down on their their table the first time. Uh, you know, and they're going to work hard to make it beautiful and perfect and well-seasoned because they want the guest to feel great, not just because it's an end of itself. Like that dish has to be great because I'm going to feel good about it. You know, but they, they have that empathy of what the guest is going to feel when that plate gets put down in front of them. So would you say a lot of your rock star employees were the people that you've met in everyday life encounters who you offer you know invitations to come join your team? Or is it more traditional where they apply? Like, how are you finding these people? I mean, it's it's there's all kinds of variety of ways. I mean, our best, our, our favorite way is when uh, our own staff uh, recommend friends of theirs who they mm. know would fit into the culture who, you know, Hey, this, this person's like me or like us. Hey, they have the same values. They share the same values. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite way that we recruit people is just friends of, of current employees. You know, that's, that's awesome. But you know, people come from all, all over, you know, uh, it's reputation. Hey, we're moving to Ottawa. We heard you're the place that we got to work. It's like amazing. I love that. I love that. that. Awesome. And so, and so, uh, and you know, well, how like do they hear about you? Let me ask, how do they hear about you? How do they know? Is it because people are writing reviews and you're getting good media, good press? Are you putting yourself out there? Are you creating content? Yeah. I mean, you know, reviews, absolutely. It's just word of mouth though. I mean, we haven't, we've never spent a penny on advertising and mm-hmm. it's just all word of mouth and it's just, you know, people talk about hopefully how great they felt when they came to one of our places. And so, you know, if someone's moving from another city and coming to Ottawa and they say, you know, what are the restaurants uh, that, that we want to work in? Hopefully ours are at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, now, when you're asking these questions, when you're trying to find out if this person has that empathy, that curiosity, that ability to engage, what questions are you asking to, to get at those things, those, those qualities you're looking for? Well, uh, a, a couple, but one of them that I is always part of an interview for me is tell me the last time you were at a gas station or a grocery store or a restaurant or a clothing outlet that uh, you felt like someone went completely above and beyond their job description mm. in order to make you feel really special to the point you would have raved about it to your friends and family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they have to be able to identify it for themselves. Like, you know, they have to understand and appreciate what incredible hospitality is. And so if they can't come up with an example of someone doing that to them, then they probably, it's not on their radar. And mm-hmm. so how can you deliver that if you're not, a, if you're not a, aware of it? Mm-hmm. What else are you doing to attract people or to retain people? You just care for people. You know, you, you take care of them. You know, silly thing the other day was just uh, apologizing to one of our servers who uh, it was a quiet lunch and she should have been uh, called in advance to let her, let her know that, you know, we wouldn't actually need her that day. There was miscommunication between a couple managers and they thought the other person did it, whatever. And, uh, you know, I felt really bad and I had to go and apologize to her and said, you know, we're going to do better than this. We're going to, you know, we wasted your time today. We didn't show you a lot of respect and, you know, we got to do better. And so that's it. It's just real basic, simple caring for people. You know, mm-hmm. if you screw up, you know, apologize and, and figure out how to, 
how to you know show people a greater amount of respect in the future. Yeah, and um, listening to you talk, it really reminds me to a book I uh, just finished up. Uh, had her on the show, the author Kate Edwards. Hello, and every little thing that matters. Uh, and she talks about decency, and I think that's just another word that is so impactful for this industry. And I just real quick, the definition of decency is behavior that conforms to accepted standards of morality and respectability. And it seems so, you know, simple and not really impactful, but you know, morals and respectability behave in a way where you have morals and you respect others. And to me, that's so, you know, similar to just caring and holding yourself in a way that, um, you know, it's like the whole, the golden rule, do unto others as you'd want done to yourself. And that you've worked that into your core value or your, your why, and, you know, that, like, that's so cool. It's a culture. Oh, of that. I love it, man. You know, it's something that I just love and I believe in. So it's, uh, it's easy to do. Awesome. So, uh, what's one challenge that you're either dealing with right now or something that you see coming down the barrel or maybe something you had a challenge with in the past and take us through that challenge or one that you have coming in. And what are you doing to, or what did you do? I'm all over the place. Well, I mean, Sorry. The, 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 yeah, yeah. The, the big challenges right now, uh, in Ottawa and in the restaurants here in Ottawa, but I'm sure it applies to most, most restaurant cities is that there's with, with super low interest rates for a long period of time, there's super easy access to capital. Everyone's looking for a different way to invest and whatnot. And there's a lot of great young, talented people, chefs, restaurateurs, people would be entrepreneurs and, that are opening their own restaurants. In the last three years in Ottawa, the uh, sort of um, mid-price fine dining segment has increased by 27% wow. in terms of number of restaurants in Ottawa. And it's like, wow, you know, that's an enormous amount of seats. And everyone wants to try out the new thing, right? That's amazing. Uh, but it makes things challenging because you, you can't, like where you couldn't rest on your laurels 10 years ago, you really can't rest on your laurels now because there is just so many people who, you know, I think back to my old boss, uh, Danny Meyer, you know, talking about people want to eat your lunch. And so how do we become the company that, uh, you know, will put our current company out of business? Mm. That, how, do, how do we improve ourselves so much more that we're on the cutting edge you know, and being the most hospitable, the most caring, the most relevant uh, place around. But you have to like almost do it, you know, weekly now instead of yearly or every ten years. Yes. You know, it's uh, it's just that nonstop push to keep making yourself relevant and keep caring more and keep being more hospitable. So I love it. Uh, I love uh, it. Yeah. No, that's so true, and I've, that's something I've heard before. I mean, instead of being being competition with the other restaurants in your community, be in competition with yourself. Be a better version of yourself than you were the day before. And if you make it about just beating yourself every day, no one's going to keep up with that. That's what matters is is that you know that battle with yourself. Uh, because if you perceive yourself as being better than your competition, then the, the the, the growth stops, but you'll never, mm-hmm. you'll always be able to be a better version of yourself than you were the day before. And that's great advice. Awesome. Love it, dude. Uh, so what advice do you have on finding time for, you know, life for your family, uh, the things that make you happy, or is there no such thing as work-life balance? No, I think there's absolutely work-life balance, but you have to work at it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a lot of hard work. Um, I've got uh, I've got a friend mentor uh, in a high tech company. His name's Charlie. He works right next door, and we get together often and talk about this stuff. And uh, you know, he had he had this great line, and and uh, you know, he talked about 
you, you've got this bucket and, you know, to fill the, and that, that bucket is your life. And you've got these big rocks, which are the really important things. You've got a bunch of these small pebbles, which are the things you kind of have to do, like taxes or, you know, getting your car fixed or errands or just stuff that comes up in life. And then you've got sand, and sand is sort of the, the garbage, the, mm-hmm. you know, surfing Twitter or watching the, the news or, uh, you know, just hanging out or reading a book, doing whatever. Um, and, you know, a lot of people start filling their bucket with sand first. And, you know, oftentimes you'll run out of room before the big rocks are in there. And mm-hmm. those are the really important things. Absolutely. So figure out what the two or three or four most important things are in life and put those in first. Make sure you have enough time for those so that they don't get squeezed out. And then yeah. put the pebbles in because you got to do those things. Absolutely. And then pour the sand in around it. You know, less sand is going to be there, but it's going to fill in the gaps. And so just make sure you're prioritizing the most important things first. And, and then you, there's the work-life balance. Yeah, that is awesome advice. And it really reminds me of Brian Tracy's book, Eat That Frog. Are you familiar with that? Is that, I'm not. Oh, I think your friend might be because I think that is straight out, out of that book. It's an awesome book. Uh, oh, I hope there's no plagiarism here. <laughs> no, no. <you're>, the <laughs> whole idea with that whole eat the frog is those big boulders that you were talking about. I mean, those are the things you should be tackling first. Those big things, once you get those out of your way, once they, those are the things that have the most impact in your life. Like, you know, getting a job at, you know, Union Square Hospitality, like that's a big frog to eat, you know? And his thing is eat the frog. You know, how do you eat a big frog? You take a little bites out of it, you know? But you just focus mm-hmm. on those big boulders, those big goals, and you get those out of the way with first because they have the biggest impact in your life. And then you worry about the sand and the pebbles, like you said. It's awesome stuff. Great. Um, so while we're on the topic of books, what's one book that you think is a must read and you can't say Danny Meyer saying the table. I know you're going to go there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I got to like, you have to put it down, you know, because it is, it is the Bible. I mean, I'm yeah. happy to give, you know, others, but like that, that is the Bible. If, if there's anyone in this business who has not read setting the table, then you need to go out and get that right now. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I have a bunch of restaurateur friends in Ottawa that, when they when they were opening their restaurants uh, during construction, when they're doing prep in the the morning before service, they just get the audio book and they have it planned for the whole staff all the time. That is it's awesome. Crazy. It's 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 very cult like. It's a little weird. I'm sure Danny would probably feel that's a little cult like as well. But uh, it's so important. It really really is. Um, you know. But beyond that, to me, what I what I love is I love reading uh, political biographies because I think you get incredible leadership lessons from some of the great leaders that we've had, you know, American politics is so much sexier than Canadian politics up until very recently, I guess, you know, with Justin Trudeau, things switched for sure. But, uh, you know, reading about FDR, like I'm rereading for the third time his biography. And to me, I get so many amazing, uh, stories, ideas, thoughts, principles, uh, just around his leadership style and how he did things, you know? So I love reading about politics and, and leadership in, in that way. Do you think and of a, a title? I, is there one politi- political autobiography that you would, is like a hands down must read? Absolutely. So it's just called FDR and it's by Conrad Black. Uh, he's a, a notorious Canadian who is, uh, uh, you know, served time for, for some nasty things, but, uh, it's a big thing. He's an incredible writer. He used mm-hmm. to own, you know, a quarter of the newspapers in North America. And, uh, he's an incredible writer and did an amazing job on all the research. And it's, it's a brilliant book, mm-hmm. you know, regardless, it's just a great biography and it's just FDR. And I think I just uh, cut you off. You're about to mention another book too. 
Yeah, another one that I, I you know, reading this uh, this question uh, made me think back to a really formative book, and it's it's a little out of date because it was it was published in 1996, and some of the concepts are a little out of date, but uh, the uh, or some of the context, I guess, is a little out of date. Uh, you know, Japan is no longer taking over America as like the the, the premier uh, country in the world for for business, but um, you know, it, it talks uh, really about authentic self leadership. And it's called Empires of the Mind, and it's by a guy named Dennis Waitley, who is sort of a, a, a compatriot of you know the Stephen Coveys of the world. And uh, anyway, that one really set me off on my uh, my path uh, around self leadership because you know when if if you're a good leader to yourself, then you can be a good leader to others, and that's important. I love that you just said that, and that really just resonates with me with. On a whole new level. When I started this podcast, I had no idea what my focus was going to be. I just wanted to learn. And I literally, when I started this podcast, I was asking questions like, what about like, I don't know, like, tell me about your, uh, the, the feeling people get when you walk into a restaurant. Like, what is it? Like, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, help me out. Help me out. Uh, the, 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 the feeling the, that they decor. get. Yeah. Like the decor. Tell me about your decor and like all these stupid questions that, I mean, yeah, they're important to your brand, to your, what you're trying to do. But as I evolved, the more I learned, it's about that self, uh, personal growth and knowing yourself and becoming better. Cause your restaurant's not going to be great until you're great, until you have discipline, until you can lead others. And I, I love those types of books for that reason. Yeah, well, I hope you uh, hope you can get your hands on a copy of Empires of the Mind. It's pretty cool. Absolutely, I wrote it down. It's going to be in the show notes. Uh, is there anything else you want to recommend? Um, you know, in terms of books, I, you know, I don't want to put too much on the table. FDR, Empires of the Mind, Setting the Table. Those are the ones that sort of you know had in my mind. But Setting the Table has got to be first. Don't don't don't, don't okay. go buy another book until you read Setting <laughs> the Table at least twice. I'll put it on the list. But that that is hands down like landslide like number one recommended book on the show it's awesome and i totally you know i, I don't think it's culty when you said um you know to, to play it in the background i think that's something we could do more often i mean we always everyone has an iphone everyone we have these little mobile like bluetooth uh players now and it, like david long a past guest and he, author of built to lead talks about how he has these book clubs with his people and they make it a point to, to reflect on these books. Why not take that into the restaurant? Why not host these clubs while you're prepping? Like make it like once or twice a day where you or a week, you know, that you devote those days to, to really absorbing this content and reflect on it and talk. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I think it's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, Let's talk a little, a little bit about technology. Um, I mean, what has you excited about technology? And when, and when I'm talking about technology, I, I look at technology as a way to accelerate your business, the systems, the processes, the procedures. Uh, is there anything that you're you're using or something you're really interested in adopting a technology in your restaurant that you can share with us? Honestly, Google is still the best piece of technology that's ever been created. Uh, <laughs> How are you it, using it? It really is. So um, my old boss and mentor, Richard Crane, who is uh, my boss at, at Love Madison Park, he's uh, their um, chief development officer now for USHG. And uh, when I first started, you know, he said, this this piece of technology will change your life. And uh, it, because, you know, everyone who was coming in, we Googled the names. We found out who they oh. were and what they were about, because then you're able to do everything for them. You can care for them in ways that nobody else can, because you understand their backstory. You understand you know, what's going on in their life right now, what, you know, what major events that maybe is happening. 
you know, and it's, it's huge. It's huge to be able to connect with people um, because you know a little bit about them and then that just opens the door. And so um, I was, uh, I was at a restaurant recently in Toronto uh, and I, I just, I was walking uh, and they asked me for my name. I said, okay, well, I thought that was strange, but okay, my name's Steve. And they said, well, can I trouble you for your last name? Okay, great. I just thought they were putting it in a database so mm-hmm. that they can do whatever. And then sure enough, five minutes later, you know, a server comes over and says, oh, we love your restaurants in Ottawa. You know, uh, so excited you're with us tonight. I was like, how did you even know? <laughs> and I didn't know anyone there. I didn't call ahead, nothing. And sure enough, they Google walk-ins. And I was like, amazing. How great is this? And so suddenly my, my experience is transformed because we are on a different level. We have a connection. And uh, they know something about me. I want to know something about them. And it just becomes this, this big love. And it's just, it was an incredible experience. And it was because of that little piece of technology. Wow. That's, a, you know, Google's been mentioned a whole bunch of times on the show, but not for CRM, not for customer relationship management purposes, but because of like Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Drive to, to improve communication, to bring everything or the calendar to, you know, to really say organized. But that's the first time anybody has recommended it for just, you know, getting that data on your guests. I mean, yeah, there's POS systems and social media and tools out there that exist to collect this data for you. But what's stopping you from just doing a quick Google search? I mean, think about all the things you can figure out to connect with your guests. That's brilliant. I never even thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, that I learned that like 15 years ago, you know, <laughs> wow. and the technology hasn't changed that much other than that. There's just so much more content online. No, I have heard of it. Um, as far as when people are, you know, if, if they have a funny name, maybe they'll Google search it and do a, a YouTube video. Maybe that person has a video or somebody's saying the name or something. Um, I have heard of it doing being used for that application, but that's, yeah, that's a great resource. What other tools are you using or that, or that have you excited? Um, you know, our, our, um, restaurant database reservation system, I really like, um, you know, when, when I moved uh, back to Ottawa to open my restaurant, uh, there was a, a young tech company in, in Ottawa that was, you know, just starting out and, uh, we, we helped them design it. And basically I used open table a lot in the States and there was a lot of things that I didn't love about it. Uh, it's the, the biggest one is that the relationship belonged to open table and not to the restaurant. Uh, with the guest. And so mm-hmm. we, we wanted to go about and change that. And so, um, you know, I helped this guy, Peter Hall, develop the software. We've used it all, all of our restaurants since. Uh, you know, it's very prolific in Ottawa. I would say over half the restaurants in Ottawa use it and uh, a lot in Canada, but it's gotten only a small penetration in the States because Canadian company and they really focused on Canada. So, um, uh, it's called Res Plus now. It used to be called Site Benefits, but R-E-Z-P-L-U-S. Uh, and, uh, anyway, they're, they're awesome. And, you know, I think Peter has done such a great job, uh, with this reservation software. He also does, uh, websites for restaurants and, you know, they handle gift cards, they handle all kinds of stuff, but that's our vital piece of software. You know, I've got all the applications on my phone so I can check reservations for any of the three restaurants at any time, uh, and put in notes and, uh, connect with guests, you know, because of that, without having to actually be in the restaurant. So it's uh, it's really cool. Like that's that's the indispensable part. You know, Twitter has been a pretty amazing thing as well. Uh, Instagram a little less so for me, but uh, you know, I I love it. Um, and uh, you know, there's we're we're pretty low tech in a lot of ways. You know, it's uh, it's this business is is a, is a high touch business. They say it's about how people feel. It's about the emotion. So use tech in order to connect with people emotionally. And 
to me, Googling to find out about them is the best way to do that. Awesome. And I will put that in the show notes. You said it's a res plus R E S P L U S. R E Z. Oh, uh, spell that for me. Or Z, I guess. Yeah. R E Z P L U S res plus. R E Z P L U S res plus. Yeah. Got it. I'll have that. I'll have that in the show notes And uh, Canada's number two on the country is that listens to restaurant stoppable. So it's not completely like we service, uh, that country as well. So it's definitely worth putting in the show notes. And, and, uh, you said that people are using it in America too, right? They are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, They haven't, uh, there's not a huge penetration, but, uh, it is available. And I think they've got, uh, they partnered up with a Florida reseller, so there is you know sales and support and all that. And so anyway, it's pretty cool. So if you're looking at different reservation systems, you should definitely give Res Plus a try because I mean, a it's a whole lot cheaper than Open Table, but the bigger thing is that you get to keep the relationship uh, with the guest yourself rather than having Open Table have the uh, have the relationship. Awesome, great stuff. So if you could go back in time, Stephen, to uh, maybe you're just arriving in New York City, and you could give yourself one business, ad- one piece of business advice. What would it be? Well, you know, if I'm going to transport back, I'm going to do it uh, more, uh, a little more recently to, you know, uh, shortly after opening my own restaurant. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, the big thing is that I love doing things. I love bussing tables. I love mm. checking people's coats. I love, you know, uh, running food. I love connecting with people through those actions. But I realized that for me to be more effective, I have to do less and I need to coach more. Mm -hmm. So instead of when I see that the lights need to be dimmed, instead of just going and doing it, I need to bring the host over and say, you know what, tell them about, we want to mirror the light from the outside with the light levels on the inside and, you know, tell them about the why of it all and have them dim the lights so that they can always do it in the future. So it's always right instead of me just doing it. And then tomorrow it's, you know, it's going to be the same way that, you know, people aren't going to notice if I'm not here. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, doing less, coaching more. That's that's the big thing that I would tell myself both then and now. I awesome. Still, you know, it's a huge piece of advice to myself that I need to keep doing. Awesome. Great advice. Do less, coach more. Love it. And if there is one question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to today's chat, what would it have been? Uh, you know, who is your mentor and what is the best piece of advice they have given you recently? So uh, I think that's, that's big. Like we all need mentors to be able to succeed. And, absolutely. And it's so, it's so, so important and, uh, and keeping it relevant. So keeping it constant, uh, you know, constantly seeking out those mentors and those relationships. So that's, that's huge. And so finding out what, you know, the best piece of advice these mentors have given people lately is, I, I think a great question to ask. So who is your mentor and what have they taught you recently? Well, so uh, had a recent trip back to New York City, and uh, we usually do a restaurant trip every every year or so. And uh, and I spent the better part of a, a day with my old mentor Richard Crane. Like you know, I like to think of him as my current mentor as well, although we're not in as in touch as much uh, lately. And uh, and I just loved it. You know, it was just amazing to uh, to hang out with this guy. He's just got so much wisdom and so much knowledge and uh, just great perspective on things. And, uh, you know, the thing that's, that's I really, I mean, I took so many things away, but the really clear, small, simple, concise thing, which I bring up all the time since I left him is that, you know, he said, you can do anything you want, but you can't do everything. Mm. And that is key because, you know, I think entrepreneurs in general, you know, we like to micromanage. We like to do everything. We like to do it all. And, uh, you know, the, the, the advice is that you can't, you have to pick. 
you know, you so have to pick what the most important things are in your business and focus on those and let other people take care of the, the other things. So again, coach more, do less, bust less tables, connect with guests more because, you know, other people can bust tables, but no one else can, you know, connect with guests the way that, that I can as the owner. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people, that's, that's what they want to see. And, you know, no one else can connect with staff the same way I can because no one else is in that position. Uh, and that's it. So yeah. it's, uh, Steven, man, you have been so incredible today, man. I've loved this conversation with you. you. You've just, you know, littered us with bombs of knowledge and great advice and we're all better because of it. We're going to wrap up now. We wrap up every episode by having my guest call somebody out. Who's one independently owned restaurant operator, uh, executive chef, restaurateur, bar manager, and consultant, anybody you can think of that you think would just be a great guest mentor on the show for us today like you've been? Well, I had one of the best meals of my life. Totally blew me away recently at a, at a visit to Toronto. And uh, it's at this new restaurant called Allo, A-L-O. And uh, just they took hospitality to another level. They are the, the restaurant that would put us out of business <laughs> because of how thoughtful they were in every single element of the dining experience. And it was, it was shocking to me. It just... Uh, I don't know, blew me away, blew me away. So uh, I've only connected with the general manager there a couple times, but if she can bottle the stuff that her and her team and her chef partner are doing uh, and sell it, it would be incredible. So her name is Amanda Bradley, and she's the GM and a partner at Allo Restaurant. Uh, so I hope she'll uh, she'll take you up on your uh, your offer to have her on the show. Because uh, I, don't, I think uh, what she does and what the restaurant uh, does is remarkable. And, uh, you know, I think people need to, to hear more about it. Well, I mean, it's only got like 50 seats and it's booked up like eight months in advance. So I don't know if she needs any more business, but, you know, more people need to, to hear about the great things that they're doing. Amanda Bradley. Uh, general manager, partner at Allo Restaurant. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd be honored if you'd join me on the show as a guest mentor. And Stephen, let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you if they want to dive deeper into uh, a topic we were discussing today or maybe some advice that you had that they want to maybe pull back some more layers on? What's the best way to connect? Uh, email is always best for me. So it's sbecta at becta.com. So I'll spell it out. S B E C K T A at Becca B E C K T A dot com. Awesome. I'll be sure to have that in the show notes. This is episode 227. So just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 227. You'll find the links right there in the show notes. Um, I'll have all the links to everything we discussed today to, uh, what was it? Uh, Res Plus will be there to the books that you recommended and a summary of all of your advice right there in the show notes. Uh, just head over there. And um, man, thank you so much. You had mentioned that you're opening a new restaurant. Did you want to maybe try to plant a a little bug in no ears about- sorry no i um sorry we are not opening a new restaurant i'm sorry if that came across but oh that was not my intention i'll just no, edit our, this part our out latest, <laughs> no our, our latest we moved our flagship restaurant of uh that's been open for 13 years about a year and a half ago that's our our newest restaurant uh that's opened and uh you know that's it's been a great, a great ride and tons of fun, and, and we love it. We love this new location, um, but uh, but no, no, no restaurants on the immediate horizon. 
We've got three, and that seems like a good number for right <laughs> yeah. now. We, we, we've got lots of we got lots of fun challenges inside that we, you know, we, we want to, you know, again figure out how to how to put our ourselves out of business. So we got to keep keep pushing that bar. Well, all the contact information will be there in the show notes. If you want to join this awesome team, if you want to work for a company whose culture is to care, then Stephen Bechtka is the guy to talk to. Awesome! Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and your busy schedule. You were so incredible. You had such awesome advice. We are all unstoppable because of it. Thanks a lot, Eric. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, no problem. It was my pleasure. Uh, cheers. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. You too. Another awesome episode to wrap up today. Throw it in the archive. Great stuff. Thanks again to Stephen Bechta for coming on the show. Uh, just dropping bombs of knowledge all over the place. Just incredible advice today. If you're enjoying these interviews and you want more interviews just like it, I'm asking for your help. And you can help by simply supporting the show. There's a bunch of ways to do it. The first way, head over to iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Leave those five-star reviews and uh, ratings. Those really help with getting the show recognized and the rankings. Uh, Share this episode or these episodes, all these episodes with everyone you know. Anyone that you think could benefit from this melting pot of mentors, please share it. And then use my links. If there's a product or service that's recommended on the show... Use my links. Uh, sometimes there's an affiliate commission. All these things are what we can do to just keep the content coming, to support the show, to help me out uh, so I can <laughs> uh, make my restaurant dreams come true. Hopefully this this podcast is the, the way that I'll be able to do it. So uh, just keep on listening, sharing, spreading the word. Uh, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. If you can think of somebody to be on the show, I love getting those emails. Uh, if there's a problem you have in your restaurant, if there's a challenge you're, you're dealing with, let me know. I'll get an expert on the show to discuss it for you. I'm right here for you guys. Uh, use me, please, please do. All right, that's all I have today. Uh, thanks for listening in. Until next time, peace out.